It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through it. COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. From Amari, Christian, Skyler, Caitlin, Dolade, Jordan, Antonio, Eddie, and the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's uh, Christmas Eve Eve, but uh, we're not going to be talking a lot about Christmas. In fact, it's going to be kind of a, a strange show this close to the holiday in some respects because it's all about whodunits. Coming up in the second and third hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to um, acknowledge and look back over the uh, 25 years of uh, investigation into the killing of John Benet Ramsey uh, on uh, Christmas 1996, and uh, Roscoe Clark, who's been, uh, who's from the Flint area, has been very involved in investigating this and keeping track of the various phases this uh, mystery has gone through. And uh, he's going to be joining me by phone, plus I think we'll have a number of other guests joining us during this two-hour retrospective 
about the uh, investigation into that killing. And speaking of investigations into killings, my guest the uh, first hour today uh, knows a thing about thing or two about fatal dece- diseases, so when he decided to write a mystery, of course it had to be a medical whodunit. But not only is it a medical whodunit, it's set against a uh, pandemic backdrop. The uh, novel is called Toxic Affairs on Hidden Lane by uh, Dr. Donald Rizek, who joins me by phone. Hi, Don. Welcome to the show. Tom, um, good morning. Um, Merry Christmas Eve, Eve, and thank you for inviting me. Um, let me ask, uh, you have authored or edited more than 200 medical manuscripts and medical textbooks. Um, you've written five previous novels plus a memoir about your wife, and all of your books have had a medical theme. How did you decide to do, first of all, a, a murder plot, a murder mystery, and then set it against the pandemic. The pandemic's kind of a mystery in and of itself, so it's sort of a mystery within a mystery. Right. So to have answer your question, I am a physician, partially retired, I might point out, and I'll be fully retired at the end of January, but I'm currently an emeritus professor at Case Western Reserve in, in Cleveland. So as you mentioned, I've had an academic career and have uh, co-authored or edited quite a few uh, medical manuscripts, book chapters, textbooks, that sort of thing. Um, I first got interested in creative writing. Uh, I guess my first novel was 2010. And I might point out, uh, because there is a connection with the novel we're going to talk about in a minute, but um, my, I had a son who, um, at the age of 11, developed acute myelogenous leukemia. And he's a rare long-term survivor, um, which is nice. Uh, but at the time, we went through about a four-year ordeal with his illness. And I told my wife, if we ever survive this or if my son ever survives it, someday I'm going to write a book about it, maybe even a novel. Um, and that was uh, my introduction into creative uh, writing. Um, I, um, when, when my son got sick in the neighborhood that I actually live in, there was a rash of uh, cancers over a period of two or three years, all different cancers. But there was speculation on the street or in the neighborhood that maybe there was some kind of toxin that we're all being exposed to that, that were causing these, uh, these uh, cancers. I mean, the issue got dropped because basically uh, people said, well, cancer is common anyhow. It's just maybe a little more common here, so let's just drop the issue. But I always had in the back of my mind this concern that exposures to toxins are real, and um, and, uh, and and it becomes the the basis of this book. But I uh, I uh, uh, embellish it by making it a medical mystery that evolves into what you call a whodunit medical um, murder uh, mystery. And this um, this novel, um, when did when does did or does it come out, Don? Oh, it was uh, published in July, so it's been out for a, a few months now. Okay, and uh, published by Kindle Direct Publishing. And and I've read some of the the reviews of it. It's it's getting very good reviews. Um, but why did you decide to um, include so much about the pandemic? Well. 
Let me backtrack a little bit, by the way, because I'm particularly excited about this interview because, in fact, when did the water crisis begin in Flint? Now, embarrassed about 2015 or 2016? No, it um, was April of 2014, if you go by the actual switch to the Flint River. But, but my... Uh, you know, I'm right down the street from you in, in Cleveland, right, and so right. we, we, we continue to follow this story, but it was actually that water crisis that got me back to thinking about these issues of toxins that we're exposed to and how they affect our health. Um, and and uh, it's not the exact same story, and I know the main issue in, in the Flint water was lead, but there were also other toxins discovered in the water there that are probably still causing um, health risks. Uh, trihalomethanes, PFAs were discovered there. Um, the chemicals that we're referring to in my novel are distant cousins of those chemicals, but the, the principle was kind of the same um, thing uh, driving my desire to write this novel, which was the underlying theme of exposures to toxic chemicals. And And what made you... How did you decide and... and with the interest in toxins, we generally think of, of those kinds of things as, um, we don't think of it as murder. It may be accidental death, it may be um, manslaughter, you know, other kinds of things. But when you start talking about toxins, you don't necessarily think of a murder plot per se. Um, you're, ab you're absolutely right. So... To, to get back to one of your earlier points, why why put this in the setting of the COVID-19 epidemic? And yeah. In fact, the, set, the setting of the book is all entirely in the year 2020. And, and actually, I envisioned this story long before we ever heard of COVID-19, but I wanted it to be kind of a contemporary fiction occurring, you know, in near present time. And I said to myself, it's impossible, especially as a physician, to ignore COVID-19 as an important uh, background. Now, the, the interplay of ideas is that there's, there's a great deal of data showing that uh, rates of, number one, suicide and rates of intentional poisonings have escalated dramatically during the COVID-19 pandemic. And you can probably surmise the, the reasons for that. Um, chronic depression, loss of jobs, those kinds of things that lead to suicidal ideation. Now, the, the data is um, maintained by the various poison centers in this country, and it turns out that intentional poisonings with toxins are also up, although they only account for uh, about 2% of all poisonings or um, ingestions. Um, so there is this this phenomenon. But, you know, I took, I took poetic license in... Um, in um, in going from toxics uh, toxic chemicals in the environment to the use of these toxins uh, as murder, there there there's another case that always um, struck me and is written about in the novel. But earlier in the uh, well, not the decade actually it was around 2004 or 2005. <clears throat> there was a famous case of um, a gentleman named Viktor Yashchenko who was the president of the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And um, you can uh, Google it, or your audience members can, can Google it. And if you pull up the name Viktor Yashchenko, that's Y-U-S-H-C-H-E-N-K-O, 
you're going to see some unusual pictures of this man's face, photographs taken serially over a period of a couple of years. He develops an ugly-looking lesion that sort of looked like the worst case of teenage acne you've ever seen. And there's a term, medical term for that called chloracne, and it's almost never seen except in cases of poisonings with one class of toxic chemicals. turns out that in the case of Viktor Yashchenko, who claimed that it was the Russians who were poisoning him, and I'm not sure that was ever proven, it was probably a synthetic version of a toxic chemical called dioxin that was being intentionally administered to him. He survived, but I understand he's remained chronically ill. So there was this interplay of interest with my own son's back background, our neighborhood uh, concerned about toxins, the COVID-19 epidemic, and all those things uh, sort of resulted in a novel that is a murder mystery set against the background of COVID-19. How did you um, evolve to the point where you wanted to write a whodunit? Um, <laughs> how, how, how did the, your five previous novels lead you to that? Well, very good question. Um, as I mentioned, the first novel that I wrote called Racing to Pittsburgh was really a family saga. So it was the story of my son and his battle with leukemia, but I fictionalized it, sort of wrapped the true story around a fiction. And that fiction involved a father uh, who was very ambitious academically and was looking for a prestigious job in the Transplant Institute in Pittsburgh. So um, being an academic physician myself, obviously there are kind of autobiographical components to that character in that particular book. Aside from the memoir about my wife, which is a total different kind of publication, the other novels were all um, medically themed, uh, but, but first of all, were all more or less autobiographical, or at least readers who were friends or family members would say, ah, that's you in the book, isn't it? And although I claim, of course, it's not, the reality is all fiction uh, uh, comes out of our, our experiences and reality. And so I, I recognize that I was writing more kind of autobiographical novels, albeit fictions. I wanted to write a, a novel, a medical mystery, in which there was nothing like that. So there's nobody in this book that, um, aside from uh, it being set in Northeastern Ohio, there, there's nobody in this book that is uh, supposed to be myself. <laughs> um, and I want to dig down on the development of the story, the development of the characters, and you've been praised for... Uh, some of the, the reference material to COVID-19 for its accuracy. And I want to talk about all that, but I have a break coming up in a moment. Um, Don, can you stand by for a few minutes so we can talk about this some more? Yes, please. All right, that, that'd be great. My uh, guest is Dr. Donald Rysick. He is the author of a new book called, uh, well, it's been out since uh, July of 2021, Toxic Affairs on Hidden Lane, which investigates a murder plot amid a pandemic backdrop. If you're listening to us on 92.1 LPFM Flint, WFOV, our voices radio, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as Hello well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
from Alicia, Elena, Gabriella, Erica, and the Tom Sumner Program. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with Dr. Donald Reisick, the author of Toxic Affairs on Hidden Lane. Don, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem. Um, Don, we were talking a little bit about how you decided to write a murder mystery, and and you were saying in the last segment that uh, your previous books have um, had elements of being somewhat autobiographical because you couldn't help um, injecting some of yourself into some of the characters and people that you knew and so on. But That's you true. said you, you wanted with this book to, to get away from that and come up with characters that weren't necessarily based on you or people close to you. Um, how, do you how do you go about doing that? And, and which came first, the, the story or the characters? I always ask writers this to figure out if they come up with a group of characters and then figure out, what would happen to them, what kinds of things would happen to them, or if they have a story and then they cast it the way you would a movie or a television show? Well, I suppose all authors uh, do things differently, but in, in my case, it's the, the story first and the character development, which is very important, but comes uh, uh, secondarily. Uh, I mean, I uh, don't have any formal training in creative writing, but I have had some important literary coaching from some good uh, writers and authors. Um, and there's, there's a structure to every fictional novel that uh, if, you, if you are an avid reader, you recognize there's always a protagonist um, who has some um, ambition or goal, um, and there's always a villain who antagonizes that goal or those ambitions. Uh, and, and then the story surrounds how the protagonist works through uh, the villain to achieve his goal. Now, you don't see that model in every novel that you read, but I guarantee you, if you look close, you'll see that pattern. So, yeah, I didn't want to be autobiographical, but the fact is that the protagonist in this novel happens to be a medical resident. So, in, in fact, I'm back to doctors as my main characters. Um, there, there are two themes in this novel, one we've talked about is this business of toxins and the use of toxins to intentionally poison a human being. Well, the using other theme, toxins guess, as a murder weapon. Yes. Um, the other theme uh, is a more common one, which is marital infidelity. I mean, we all see that around us. And I guess I took examples from my real life of... Uh, of uh, people having marital difficulties and sort of translated that, that into this novel. Um, uh, so so there, are, there are some elements of, of things from my real life that uh, come through in the, uh, in, the, in the fiction that you read. Uh, what is the writing process like for you, Don? Are you pretty disciplined as a writer with all the writing you've done? I'd like to think so, although I'm always embarrassed when I actually see my published books that having read my own manuscript perhaps 10,000 times, <laughs> I still find a typographical error here and a typographical <laughs> error there. there. 
actually, uh, a nephew of mine who was going to school at Duke was home for the summer and read my book, and he, and he said, Uncle Don, what happened to Chapter 19? I'm telling you a little secret now. I said, what do you mean? But there's no Chapter 19. I, I missed a chapter number. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't affect the story. I didn't actually miss a chapter. But only a, a you know a, a straight A student at Duke would pick that kind of thing up. Um, <laughs> I um, I I uh, I my writing evolved from medical writing, and um, actually, if you look at the book, um, the, the guy who wrote um, a nice endorsement at the front of the book is Jerry Kassir, who uh, medical people might recognize that name. He was the former editor of the prestigious New England Journal of Medicine. And he was one of my mentors when I was training at Boston. And, of course, all these academic positions published or perished. So we all we all had to write. We all had to do research and then uh, publish the results of our research or write reviews, those kinds of things. I'll never forget, as a junior person work, working with Jerry Kassir and some of his colleagues at Tufts in Boston, how uh, meticulous they were when it came to writing. So... I remember I first wrote a case report of an interesting case. The details are important. And I gave it to Dr. Gassira to read over and to, um, and to criticize. And after just a few days, he sent me back the paper, which I could hardly read because it was covered with scribbles and comments <laughs> and arrows and move this, move that, and uh, focusing on, on grammar issues that I thought, well, who cares about grammar? We're physicians but you have to care about grammar. And he cared very meticulously about it. I learned my lessons then. I, I fixed it, sent it back to him. He sends me back another copy, cover with scribbles and more remarks. And we went through that process for a simple case report, perhaps a dozen or 18 times before we finally came up with something that was perfect in his mind. So I think I've adopted his discipline in uh in, in it, at least the technical aspects of, of writing, uh, which includes grammar, uh, uh, syntax, and, and spelling. Uh, so part of the process, I mean, you develop a story. Uh, the trickiest thing about writing fiction is character development. And, boy, you can either o overdo that or underdo it, I've discovered. Um, and that's the art in writing fiction, I think, is developing the characters so that the audience... Uh, you know, can really um, identify with these characters. Um, but then once the story and the character development is on paper, it's a matter of going over the manuscript over and over again, not just for typos and grammar errors, but just reading it as though you were the reader and whether you, as a reader you would understand what, what the point is that you're trying to make. So I, I think everybody does it differently, Tom. Don, the, I, that's the first time I've, I've heard a doc, doctor talk about having... Uh trouble with grammar um although i <laughs> although i've always suspected that um penmanship wasn't really important to doctors <laughs> the, that, that's the that's the first class you take in medical school tom how to sign your name so nobody can figure out who you are <laughs> <laughs> oh man is, is that a liability thing <laughs> I, I, no no but it's true that i but I, I scribble my uh, my signature like most doctors do. No, but um, you know, no, I think uh, doc doctors uh, aren't necessarily authors or, or writers. Um, so uh, I I think uh, I, I think uh, I had a good basis in in uh, the technical aspects of writing that not everybody else has uh, has uh, been exposed to. 
Now, you mentioned that this book, like your others, um, takes place in uh, northern Ohio, um, in the in the Cleveland area, I suspect. And, uh-huh. and and that makes me wonder how much is place a character in a in a book like this? Um, uh, important mostly for me personally because number one, it makes it easier to to write about. I don't have to write a novel in Paris. I have to travel to Paris so I, I understand the street names and the neighborhoods. I'm familiar with Northeastern Ohio. I was born here. I did spend a lot of time on the East Coast and training and school and whatnot, but I came back here and spent my entire professional life here. So it's a matter of uh, familiarity. Um, <clears throat> if there's an importance of the neighborhood in this book, it has to do with this proximity to Lake Erie. And I don't want to spill the beans. I've yeah, sort of no, spilled no, the beans already. No, no but, spoiler well, alert. L- l- let's just say that in the case of the water crisis in Flint, my my perception is that this was a crisis or is a continuing crisis, perhaps, that that was wrapped uh, uh, in government neglect, um, if that's a proper term. You it was. There were so many perception. working parts in that in that crisis, Don. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the water from the Flint River. It was the way the water was treated and or not treated, and the way people reacted. Um, in official capacities to uh, what seemed right. to be a growing problem. So uh, that's the reality of the Flint water crisis. And in my book, which is clearly a fiction, uh, it's not so much government ne- neglect, but uh, the implication is a government cover-up for toxic chemicals perhaps buried in Lake Erie, and thus the connection with Northeast Ohio. And that's as much as I'll say. I kind of yeah, I don't, I don't, about the toxin, but that's okay. But part of the mystery of the book is what is the poison. But the more important part, and I won't tell you about that, is is the who done it part. Okay, now we know what he's being poisoned with. Who the hell is making this stuff and giving it to him, and why? And I'll leave it at that, so your readers can have some fun figuring out the end of the book. And and how much does the the pandemic itself play a role in? all of these characters and, and how they interact. Um, it, well, it, it seems like it would, uh, when you're talking about a murder committed with toxins, that yes. it would make it a little bit confusing because all this other stuff is going on. <clears throat> this is what made writing the book fun. As I mentioned, I had the story in mind long before we heard of the coronavirus or COVID-19. But couldn't ignore COVID nineteen given the, the the timing of the of the novel or the setting. Um, so in fact, they went back to incorporate COVID nineteen, uh, not only to present some facts about COVID as you mentioned. Part of what I like to do in my writing is to teach people medical facts, and there's a very fine line for a doctor author between uh, teaching a little bit about medicine as opposed to overdoing it with medical lingo. So the reader <laughs> might just throw the book away and say, I don't understand what the hell he's saying. By the way, I often put a glossary at the end of my books, which I did in this case, just in case people say, oh, there's too many abbreviations. I don't know what he's talking about. You can flip to the back of the book. and, and uh, But, I, but I, I do make an effort as part of the writing to, to, to clarify the medical facts as, um, as I'm writing. Um, 
in the case, so in the case of COVID-19, the story changed a little bit. At least one major character, um, you might, after reading the book, say he's the major character, dies from COVID-19. Oh, and uh-huh. several other the characters are exposed uh, or get infected or have suspected COVID-19. So those are fictional elements that are interwoven. But I, I hope that all the comments about COVID-19, considering it was 2020, before vaccines, for example, and before this latest new medicine just approved by the FDA for treating the drug war around. So the science, I think, is accurate, as accurate as it was back at least in uh, a couple of years ago in 2020. The, um, that makes me wonder, how much did you draw on your own expertise, and how much did you have to research to... Um, flesh out this this story well quite a bit of research on um the the toxins um uh, which i was only vaguely familiar with before uh sitting down to write the book in terms of covid19 i i mentioned when i we started the interview that i'm partially retired i partially retired in june of 2018 and although i have some research and some clinical responsibilities in a dialysis unit I really got out of the hospital environment pretty much, which is where I spent, you know, 35 years of my career. So I, I've learned about COVID-19 pretty much the same way you have <laughs> through the media, <laughs> although, although perhaps, you know, I pay a little more attention to the actual formal papers that are coming out by the thousands now during this pandemic. Um, but in fact, um, I have never taken care of a patient with COVID-19. Unfortunately, I have a cousin who died from it, and I've had now several family members and friends who have been infected. Fortunately, they've all had mild symptoms. So I'm exposed to it just like you and everybody else has been. Um, but I wouldn't have called, I still wouldn't call myself a medical expert on COVID 19. So please don't ask me, you know, do, do, you know, which vaccine do I pick or what about this new drug? I'm not, a, I'm not true, truly an expert. But I tried to be scientifically accurate in anything that's written in the novel. Now that you've done this, this who done it done? Are you? Uh, do you have the bug? What's What's next for you? Well, I've had the I've had the idea of a sequel to this book, but that's not very well uh, for, formulated. Um, I I uh, finished my career in academic medicine long before COVID nineteen. A little frustrated and, and burnt out. Um, yeah, I think I think um, medicine in general, but particularly academic medicine, has gone from something different than it was when I got into the field to like big business that most doctors really detest. That it's it's come down to um, an insurance company deciding which brand of a medicine you should take, as opposed to the doctor deciding that for you. Um, the constant paperwork, um, the use of electronic medical records, which um, has its advantages but has a, a number of disadvantages. Um, so I, I uh, towards the end of my career, <clears throat> was a little frustrated being in academic medicine, and that comes out in some of my um, my other novels, by the way. Um, so I, to answer your question, in terms of future writing projects, these are just ideas, but uh, if I write another novel, it probably is going to be in the context of 
you know, a individual doctor battling against the big business of medicine that has evolved up right in front of our eyes. Do you think you would want to stay with the the mystery who done it kind of genre, or or would this be uh, you know more of a David and Goliath story? Yeah, I. I, I don't know the answer to that question because they haven't formulated it, but I, I think we'll, we'll I'm see not kind of to this. But. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Don. I'm just I'm just curious because sometimes people will get started writing a certain uh, a certain genre and they they kind of get the bug. And I ask a lot of writers, especially that have done trilogies or that are writing. Uh, a series if they if they started out with that in mind or if they got to the end of the first book and and thought but wait there's more it seems to be a very popular thing in in uh, modern uh fiction that uh one of my favorite authors is ken follett if you if you know him he writes historical fictions and has had well dozens of books but at least two trilogies that i'm aware of and um you see, you see that um, more and more authors writing like a series based on the, the first novel. I'm not committed to that at this point, and I, 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 I don't pretend to be an expert at whodunit mysteries, but this was fun to write. And, you know, if it's perceived to be successful after the first year, I would consider putting together uh, another one. But it would be a totally different story um, and probably not involving toxins. Well, I just wondered, Don, with your retirement coming up at the uh, at the end of next month, if um, you know that would free up some time, and you might think, well, you know, now I've got some time to to write, yes, or more time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, um, I, this book, Toxic Affairs, is the first book that I've fully written and published in my partial retirement, and it was it was a pleasure to like actually spend daylight hours working <laughs> on a manuscript as opposed to, you know, staying up in the middle of the night and then going back to work the next day. Yeah, so people always worry what they do in retirement. I, I continue to write. I enjoy uh, painting. I'm in an amateur, but I, um, by the way, uh, your listeners, I have a, a website. Not only do I show my books and the covers on the website, but I show some samples of my own artwork and some of the artwork that my sons do since they all uh, accrued my uh, interest in painting a long time ago. Um, so I feel like I have a plan uh, for retirement and you're right. Um, I, I do want to write more and I, I should have more time and hopefully I'll take advantage of it. Yeah. I, um, one of my favorite things to share with, with writers is an interview I heard with, uh, Stephen King. Unfortunately, it was not my interview, but, um, (laughs) someone asked him if he wrote to a muse or to a schedule. And he said, always to the muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at nine (laughs) o'clock. Well, he's also one of my favorite authors. I don't know if you like Stephen King or not. Oh, I'm not course. a big horror person, but his his writing is so excellent that I I usually uh, I, I probably read half of his books and will try to read most of them. That's another thing I can do in retirement is catch up on my own personal reading. <laughs> I had um, uh, Debbie Maycumber on the show many years ago, and she writes. Um, I, I you know I I, I don't want to make this sound disparaging, but she she writes some of those little small town you know stories that you might see on uh, 
you know, Hallmark or 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 something. My but my wife loved her. Oh, author. she well yeah. then then you know she has tons of books out. I mean, she was putting well, out one or two a year, and she was on the show, and I asked her who she thought had written more books, and she said her or Stephen King, and she said. I think I have more titles, but I think Stephen has written more words. <laughs> right, I just know, the standalone. Just the standalone was like twelve hundred pages. Yeah, uh, who do, who does the math on that though? <laughs> I don't. I, that, I'm. I'm. It's phenomenal. I mean, I, uh, Daniel Steele is another example. I mean, I'm not much of a romance novelist reader. My my wife read every book she ever wrote, but the the, the woman must must uh, get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and write till 8 o'clock at night. It's almost impossible to imagine, knowing what I know about putting out just a few books over the last decade, how much time and effort goes into writing one book for these people. It's just an incredible talent. I mean, it's not as though they're sloppy. Their writing is excellent. And King is right at the top of the heap there in terms of uh, his writing style. I remember Mary Higgins Clark um was on my show several times toward the end of her life and she had gotten to the point where she was writing two books a year one that she wrote alone and one that she wrote with a co-author and she had told me in the very early days of her writing she was working a full-time job and she was getting up early before her kids and before she had to be to work and writing for a couple hours every day (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. that that it was, you know, such a treat for her when she got to the point where she could write full time. And I asked her something about one of her books that was out at the time that had a lot of stuff in it about um, technology. And she was always one to say that she didn't know anything about technology. And I said, well, what do you do when you're writing a story that has a lot of technology in it? And she says, I have a guy. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, you know, I think that's interesting. I, I um, considering medicine as a, a technology, as I said before, I'm always wary of um, how much the reader can uh, can assimilate or, or not. But I think you know, it's like if I if I read a novel that was set up set on a sailboat, I don't know the first thing about sailboats. But if the author depicts a nice novel and has technical language in there about the parts of a sailboat. You know, it's something for me to learn. It's not the reason why I wouldn't want to read the book because I don't know anything about sailing. So there's always right. room for a reader to, uh, to, 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 to learn something and not just follow the story in a fiction. Well, Don, we have to wrap it up there. Um, we just have about a minute left, and I want to make sure, as I do with all my guests, to let you let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website, Don? I do. Um, it's simple. Of course, my name is hard to spell, so I guess we have to spell it out. It's Donald Rysick with no dot in the middle, so D-O-N-A-L-D. Rysick is H-R-I-C-I-K uh, dot com. And as I mentioned before, um, I, it talks just a little bit about me. There's a blog site in case people want to write. Uh, there's a small, there's a short synopsis of each of my previous books, including this one and then some fun artwork at the end of the website. So I encourage your readers to look through that. We only told part of the story of Toxic Affairs today, but the synopsis is in 
included. Hi, and this happy is Joe Bye from the Blue Line. Well, thank you, Don. And uh, the Tom yep. Sumner program. we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination: a COVID nineteen vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490.
The Tom Sumner Program.com. From Haley, Alex, Alexis, help! And the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Another five-minute mystery. An anniversary party is going on at the Brown household around the corner. One of the guests, George Taylor, pauses while eating his dessert. Mmm, best lemon pie I've ever tasted, Mary. Oh, really? I wish my wife could do as well. Hey, it doesn't look as if Sam is appreciating it much, though. Goodness, dear, is my cooking that bad? Sam, your head is practically in your plate. I guess he's fallen asleep, everyone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Sam, Sam, sit up. Sam, it's dreadful. I'd better shake him. Sam, Sam! Great guns, he's dead. How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker of the Homicide Division, and this is one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body? In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him. Hmm, might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Hmm, dead all right. Peaceful, too. Wh- who's Mrs. Sam Brown? I am. You mind telling me what happened? I guess not. I'm so shocked. I don't know where to begin or what to tell you. Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you served for dinner. Well, uh, we had soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom. And then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, and I served him coffee. But I don't see how this could mean anything. Just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything? Yes, yes he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I tried to wake him, I found he's had a heart attack. Yeah, that'll be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Uh, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief. Can't say as I do. Neither do I. Let's look in this kitchen. An orderly person, isn't she? Stacked dishes after each course. Yes, and... Here's the silverware over here. Ah, oh, look. Look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Black? Let me see it. The only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or the perfect murder. But this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown? Yes, Sergeant Barker? I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. Uh, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown, you will. You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband. Do you know why Sergeant Barker accused Mrs. Brown of murder? In a moment, we'll hear the solution. And now, back to our story. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide? Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Yeah, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder. But she forgot to wash one spoon. 
This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Sean Cantwell, Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. We hope you've enjoyed this mini-mystery. Christmas carols real He said When you were five years old Your name was Greg You left me milk and cookies And a note that said Dear Santa All I really want is a puppy I love him forever And I'll name him Buddy And so you did For 15 years Till Buddy passed away And you cried many tears And you lost your faith Like so many do But I got a little something To tell you that's true The love you Never really goes away And it all comes back on Christmas Day So here's a little something that I want to give to you And Santa handed him a puppy named Buddy Jr.
You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>